Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, thank you for your prayer as uh, I travel. Uh, starting tomorrow, our, the, the others of our uh, congregation who are part of our Asia team have already traveled, and so Eric and Virginia are over there. Uh, so are Darren and Jill Land. Um, and so I'm excited to join them uh, for, uh, we're going to Taiwan uh, for the Taiwan Annual Conference. So I appreciate your prayers uh, as, we, as I travel. Well, I'm excited. Uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Looking forward to uh, diving into week two of our series that we just started this last week. And I pray that God will meet us this morning in a really powerful and significant way, that he will continue to speak deeply to us through these very important ideas and words that we find all throughout Scripture. Last week, we, st- we kicked off our, our message series looking at, um, uh, looking at the idea of righteousness, and uh, we tried to understand the idea of righteousness as our attempt at living in alignment with God's expectations for relationship and how things are supposed to work in the world. So I, I am very aware that we are trying to tackle some large concepts that, have a, that the Scripture has a lot to say about each of these. Uh, and so I, I pray that uh, God will be uh, continuing, continuing uh, to just speak deeply to us as we, as we tackle these topics. So we looked at this idea of righteousness. Uh, we, we started with the idea that, that faith and the work of the Holy Spirit radically changes our heart. And it leads us to significantly changed ways of seeing and living in the world around us. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus, for that help (laughs) as we try to live in alignment with his calling for us today uh, uh, in these days. Well, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to another kind of large concept found uh, all throughout Scripture in the Bible. And that is the idea of faith. So like righteousness... Faith is a significant concept that we see from the beginning of the story to the very end of the story. So I want to put on my teaching hat this morning, and uh, I want to offer us a little bit of context about how the early Christians thought about faith, and then share a few stories from Scripture, and I think that will help us, uh, that will leave us with a really significant takeaway. Um, But as before we we jump into that, can I just pray for us uh, for just a moment? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that your spirit just speak deeply to our hearts and to our minds as we think about these, uh, these significant ideas, these words that you use, that scripture uses, teach us, encourage us, convict us, uh, and help us take steps uh, closer to you on our journey of faith. And we just thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So in general, Christianity is largely characterized by an emphasis on faith and beliefs, right? I mean, Christians are commonly called believers, and our commitment in Christianity certainly involves a confession of faith in Jesus. We find a, a couple well-known scripture passages to help us with this. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, we read, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, we read, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus by faith so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. So we, we know this from Scripture. We also have a theological statements in regards to our belief. For example, the Free Methodist statement about the incarnation of Jesus, it reads like this. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for this, so you just have to listen well. This is kind of wordy, okay? It says, God was himself in Jesus Christ to reconcile people to God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he joined together the deity of God and the humanity of humankind. Jesus of Nazareth was God in flesh, truly God and truly human. He came to save us. For us, the Son of God suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried. He poured out his life as a blameless sacrifice for our sin and transgressions. We gratefully acknowledge that he is our Savior, the one perfect mediator between God and us. Yes, and amen, <laughs> right? So for us, faith typically starts with an emphasis on belief. Now, this is well and good and very important. But the Bible, I think, gives us, calls us to a deeper perspective on the idea of faith and how that should work on our life. And I think some of the biblical authors from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament would say that there's more to faith than associating it with only thoughts and doctrines or beliefs. Now, again, I, don't hear me wrong. Our faith does include right belief and doctrine. That is very important. But for the early Christians, they saw it working out in a bit uh, more significant ways in their lives. And so this is what I hope that we hear from these scripture stories today. It's very encouraging, and it's also challenging. So remember, for Jesus and the New Testament authors, uh, their understanding about faith first came from the Old Testament. That was their scripture, obviously along with Jesus' teachings, of course. But the idea of faith that starts in the Old Testament is often connected with the people of God trusting God and following the expectations of a covenantal relationship that humanity had with God through their daily actions. So one commentator wrote this. Jesus and the New Testament writers teaching about faith are built on the foundations of the Old Testament, particularly in its descriptions of the covenantal life of Israel. The language of faith in the Old Testament is almost always associated with covenant. The idea uh, within that theological idea of faith in this particular way had less to do with particular ideas than it does with the integrity of living into that covenant relationship. Faith concerns... It says, attentive engagement in this relationship. I like that term, attentive engagement in this relationship. So this is so great because we know it starts with right belief and, and believing in doctrines, but it also includes engagement of our life because of what we believe. <laughs> Hopefully you're getting that idea. We see this word pistos in the New Testament, which is where we we hear this idea of faith, but it's all based on this Old Testament understanding of active daily engagement with this relationship with God. This is wonderful. So maybe we know this, but a reminder of the nature of faith from the Old Testament through to the New Testament is helpful for us today. And I love how this pushes us to integrate the idea of faith past intellectual assent 
only. I hope you're hearing that. We need to understand that our doctrine about God and and believe those things, that's important. But we see throughout Scripture that our faith for the follower of God calls us to attentive engagement or our actions as well. So our profession has to match our practice. (laughs) So this is really easy for us to forget sometimes, isn't it? And I think it's because uh, it's important to recognize that for us in modern America— We come to the idea of faith with a tradition of separating faith from other areas of our life. I'm going to say part of a statement which you might recognize. We are used to the separation of church and most other things, right? (laughs) We can say state, we get that, but we're used to the idea of of, of separation between what we believe and, and and, and other things. That's kind of a cultural thing that we're just, we're used to. It may, yeah, we've grown up with it. So, for example, things in our culture, things that our culture considers sacred, uh, or that we might consider sacred, are often siloed from things that are considered secular. And that can work out in our thinking, and it can work out in our life as well. We get used to the separated way of doing things, and it becomes easy, whether we're, we intend it or not, it can be easy to separate our faith from how we might live our life in different areas or things that we do. We get comfortable with the idea of separating our faith and our actions from other places. In fact, uh, several years ago, the Fuller Youth Institute did a whole study on the idea of compartmentalization. And they did this study over the course of several years with young people. And what they found is that young people, more often, what they described it as, Picture your life like a room, like your bedroom, say. And in the bedroom, there are tons of candles everywhere on shelves and those kinds of things. What ha- what's happening in our culture these days is you might have one particular candle that is the church candle. And you bring that candle to your church experience, and that's the candle that gets formed, spiritually formed. And that's the candle that, that uh, is discipled. And then that person might go back to their room and set that candle down. And pick up a totally different candle, and that's the work candle. And they're a totally different person in the context of their work experience. Does that make sense? So this is what they found. This, they, they found that more and more young people and more and more just people in our culture, maybe even us, are more used to this idea of compartmentalization to the degree that one area of our life being transformed by Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that the other areas of our life are being transformed Whoa, that's not good, is it? (laughs) But I also think that we all can understand because we've experienced some of that in maybe our own life. And this is what Scripture pushes back against for us as followers of of Jesus. So that is to say, um, and and this is a very, it was a very different way of life for the early Christians and ancient people. the context which, with which we read these stories was, the, was thousands of years ago where all of their lives revolved around the idea of religion or deity. And what I mean is that their whole lives around the idea of the will of the gods. That is to say that all areas of life in the ancient world, whether it be government or leadership, food, education, work, leisure, family, everything was in some way related to the divine. So they didn't have this concept of compartmentalization like we do in the same way. 
People didn't stop in the ancient world to wonder if things like the divine were actually real or not. It was just a matter, and they did not think of it as a matter of personal choice. It was considered the way things were, the way things worked. And it's very different from our way of thinking. All of this to say is that faith and life were not hobbies to ancient people. (laughs) They did not uh, simply, they did not all just lead to a statement of faith. It was how they thought and how they lived their lives. Their commitment to God was the glue that held all of their life together. So God called his people to believe, and then he called them to this intentive engagement, this this tight connection with your your profession and your practice. We've kind of separated that up a little bit. But even we can kind of see certain circumstances when even early Christians forgot this connection that they were called to. And when they did forget this, uh, this connection of faith and action, profession and practice, Jesus and the New Testament authors quickly called them back to the integration of faith and normal daily practice. In fact, one of the most direct calls uh, to this comes from James, the brother of Jesus, who we know in his letter, sometimes he's not very nice. <laughs> in fact, we read in James chapter 2, here's what he says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. And I would say what he's saying here is faith in terms of mental assent (laughs) By itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And a few verses later, he says this. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, that Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. Powerful stuff. Kind of hard to hear, isn't it? (laughs) Sometimes, James, thank you, James. I'm so glad for James's writing, but sometimes it's like, oh, James, man, man, can you just maybe be a little kinder when you're talking to us? That'd be great. Thanks. (laughs) James reminds his readers that faith properly displayed in our lives starts with our thinking, but works out in our words, in our deeds, the way we treat people, and all of our life. Okay, James, we hear you. (laughs) And so what I love is that part of what happens when we place our faith in God is that we can actually live out confidence in God because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of the way that he's changed us. Our faith, we talked about this a bit last week, we place our faith in, our faith in Jesus, we are radically changed then. Our hearts are radically changed and we begin to see the world differently. We begin to see people differently. We can treat people differently. We are changed. That connection needs to continue. Our faith leading to these, this type of life that we live out, 
no matter where we are, no matter who we're talking to, whether it's our kids or our spouse, our workplace, our neighborhoods, people who, we, who disagree with us in any area of life. And we can have confidence because not only are we changed, but our faith is based on a God who is faithful and trustworthy. Amen? <laughs> and I think that's part of what's significant here. We see at the end of this uh, passage here, when it's talking about Abraham, I love where it says, Abraham believed God. Not, it doesn't say Abraham believed in God. <laughs> it says Abraham believed God, trusted who he was, trusted what he's done. And I think that's part of what can lead us to a different type of life, an integration of faith and action. Part of what happens when we place our faith in God is that we can live in confidence because of who he is and what he's done. Because the scriptures document God's loving action, his miraculous transformations of people, and his saving work. And he, he did it back then, and he's still doing it today. So when we place our faith in God, he changes us. We can actually live in a way that is confident in that. And I love it. One commentator said this, and I had just, I've just mentioned this. At its root, this is what faith is. Not just believing in God. It's believing God. The Christian life is about believing God. It's about living by every word that proceeds from his mouth. It's about following him into places that we've never been, into situations that we've never experienced, because we know who he is. Another commentator wrote that part of, uh, to be part of the household of faith is to stick close to Jesus, because without him we are nothing. Without him we are dead to God and alive to sin. But Jesus is always with us. He's alive with us, and we live by faith in him. This is not theoretical or purely cognitive or just religious in a Sunday morning kind of way. We, in faith, it's, it's like we are walking around attached to a heart or lung machine. It's part of our life, no matter where we go or what we do, whether we are sleeping or working or eating or playing. To have faith is to live by faith, to live out on a daily basis, Jesus with me. This is great, isn't it? <laughs> but it's challenging for us at times. And I hope this is encouraging to you. Maybe it's a bit convicting. It was for me as well. As I spent some time this last week asking, God, are there things that I say I believe but that are not working out in my daily life and in my daily action? And, and I have to be honest, there, part of the answers to that were yes. And that's when the Holy Spirit begins to work on me. I can think of a situation, I'm like, oh, I, I was not following your way in that particular situation. I did not treat that person very well. Jesus, help me. So I pray that this is encouraging and convicting. <clears throat> Maybe it's leading us to some good questions for reflection in your life this next week. Uh, but I was also thankful that I can confidently live out my faith. I can take action because of my faith, and it's all based on the proven character of God in the scriptures and in our experience. I don't just believe in God. I believe God. I believe who he is and what he said about himself. So I want to highlight a couple of stories uh, in the scripture to help us understand this kind of faith in action type uh, moment. And one of these stories is from a devout follower of Jesus, and the other is from someone who's likely heard of Jesus but was not a close disciple at all. Both of these people exercised faith, not only believing, uh, not just believing in God, but believing God, believing Jesus was who he said he was. And the first one 
uh, comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 12, and it's the fantastic story you probably remember of the Roman centurion. So let's read this together. It reads like this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my youngest servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Now, there's a lot we could say about that culturally because he was not a Jewish person. He was considered a Gentile. But Lord, I'm not worthy uh, to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, which I love this moment, turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and feast at the kingdom of heaven. What a statement. But many Israelites, those who are supposed to be in an understanding Jesus, right? Many Israelites, those from whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into utter, outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that last part is a little bit hard for us to read. But this is an incredible story because we're seeing a Gentile with, uh, who is seeking out Jesus because he believes that Jesus has the power of God at his disposal. Jesus is amazed at the amount of faith coming from someone who is not a follower of God, who's not inside, who's not part of the covenantal family, right? Jesus is incredibly amazed at the amount of faith coming from this person. And uh, he turns to the the Jewish followers and he says, do you see this? I wish you you all were more like this, which is fascinating. Jewish people ought to have been the first to seek out Uh, uh, the first people to seek Jesus out and to place their trust in him. But here, this Gentile pagan without hesitation confidently appeals to the authority in Jesus. And Jesus marvels. He marvels at a faith that was ahead of everyone else. With all the privileges that Israel possessed, Jesus implies that they ought to have been the first ones to seek out the power of God and believe in it. So he uses this Roman officer as an example of that kind of confidence in who God is and what God can do. And that this person acted on it. Wow. I love it. The second story from, uh, that we want to look at together comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. We know it as the, the story of the woman who had bleeding. And it reads like this. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with, 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. doesn't say that she hoped that she would be healed. (laughs) She had confidence in God. She said, I will be healed if only I can touch him, even his robe. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once the healing power had gone out from him, so so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? 
The disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched my robe? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, that that word alone is powerful because of her particular cultural situation. She was an outcast on so many levels. And she, had this, she did this act of faith. She touched, she touched his robe. He turns around and calls her daughter. <laughs> daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Woo. So she heard about Jesus, she came to Jesus, and she touched Jesus, which is a powerful kind of description in the, in the context of the Gospel of Mark. Those are things that he uses to describe disciples, <laughs> people who are seriously following after Jesus. She was desperate. She took this huge social risk because she believed that Jesus had the power to heal her. Faith and action, a biblical definition of faith, an encouraging inspiring what these two people did. Jesus knows in this moment that healing had gone out from him, the act of faith had occurred here. Jesus' response to her was incredible. Her being in, uh, in, in public while she was bleeding and touching Jesus were both significant cultural violations for people, for Jewish people. But Jesus didn't reprimand her. Rather, she becomes a central figure of faith in the story and a model for others to follow. Amazing. So as we are hearing these stories and we are thinking together, I pray that the Holy Spirit is, is, is moving in your heart and mind and asking, helping you reflect on those questions. What is my profession? What I say I believe, does it match how I'm living out my life on a daily basis? In our society, we've learned uh, information is paramount. There's a lot of uh, reasons for that, but information being paramount causes us to, at times, reduce faith to simply believing the right things and maybe divorcing our daily action from what we say we believe. Maybe there's a disconnect. It can be hard for us sometimes to see beyond our cultural lenses, but the Scripture is calling us as followers of Jesus to something more. So how does this reminder today help encourage you as you're following Jesus? Maybe that's a, this is a good thing to take some time this week to reflect on. Is there a disconnect between my profession of faith and how I live my daily life? And what can I do to bring those back into alignment? What steps can I take to live with attentive engagement toward Jesus? This is important stuff. And the Lord will help us along the way. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit <laughs> giving us confidence and discernment as we go forward. Worship team, would you come on back up? This morning, the scriptures are calling us not to reduce faith to a catalog of information rightly recited, but to the full and complete integration of our new life in Christ in both word, thought, and deed. I'm going to do this because I am a changed person, because I believe Jesus. I'm going to treat you with love and compassion and kindness. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, our daily living should naturally reflect the transformation that has taken place in our hearts. Amen? 
Help us with that, please, Jesus. And I hope that this is both encouraging and kind of challenging for us. We can do it together. Remember, as free Methodists, we're theologically optimistic people, which means that we know with the work of the Holy Spirit and each other, we can take steps that follow Jesus better and better, closer and closer. So I just want to encourage us today that we can trust God because of who He is and what He's done. And we can do it with the help of one another. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for this concept of faith that goes all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. One that calls us to believe in you, to confess in you, to think about you, to accept you in our hearts, to understand our faith, yes, but one that also works out in our daily actions. Sometimes that can be a difficult thing. So help us bring those things into alignment, to integrate those things with the power of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you help us do that. And we acknowledge it's hard sometimes. God, I just pray even now as we're, as you're, we're ending our time together, that Holy Spirit, you would just be moving amongst us. We're thankful for growth and conviction, but we also, God, just need your spirit of comfort and peace. You looked at the woman who was bleeding. You called her daughter. You recognized her faith. Told her her suffering was over. Will you help do that same thing for us? Remind us that we are your daughters and your sons in faith. And that though life can be difficult, you help us along the way. God, I just want to continually say yes to you, to continually come and confess the ways in which I realize and recognize that I'm not following your way. Help me, Jesus. And as I am changed, I pray that you help change the world around me, through me, by the power of your spirit. Help us shine a light on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God through a connected life in actions. We thank you for your help. And we give you all the praise, Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen.